And do, do you think then that um, if we can attract back some of that <coughs> talent to Hong Kong or find new talent to, uh, to, to come to Hong Kong, is that going to be enough to maybe stabilise the property uh, the property market here? Mm, if we allow more people to come to Hong Kong, uh, at least uh, the rental market will improve uh, quickly. Mm. When the rental yield increase, then we can attract uh, more capital. It's not the time uh, for we uh, to try to push up the price. Uh, the price is still very high, so it's good to have a correction. But if the demand increase, uh, the rental market will recover earlier than the capital market. Okay, Mr. Xi, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining the program this morning. You're welcome. That's Xi Wingqing, the founder and chief executive at Centerline Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this morning in Australia. The SX200 up a quarter of a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is flat. The Cosby in South Korea also flat. And it also looks like it's going to be a flat opening for the Hang Seng in just under one hour's time. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with more Money Talk. Back chats coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam this morning. The weather forecast, fine and dry, very hot during the day. Maximum temperature of about 35 degrees. It's going to stay hot in the next few days and be mainly fine and dry. The very hot weather warning is in force, as is the red fire danger warning. 30 degrees right now, 49% relative humidity. 831, here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. The World Health Organization says a dramatic drop in the number of new COVID cases means there has never been a better time to end the pandemic. The WHO chief, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, said new cases were now at their lowest since March 2020, when the organization declared the outbreak an international emergency. He said failure to seize the opportunity would lead to more variants and more deaths. Last week, the number of weekly reported deaths from COVID-19 was the low since March 2020. We have never been in a better position to end the pandemic. We're not there yet, but the end is in sight. The Macau government says it's received seven bids for its six casino licenses, besides the six current operators, GMM Limited, linked to the Malaysian tourism and gambling conglomerate Gunting Group, has submitted a bid. The bid opening process will begin tomorrow and the new contracts are set to start next year. President Xi Jinping is in Uzbekistan on the latest leg of his overseas visit, where he'll attend the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit and meet his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin, to discuss the war in Ukraine and other international and regional topics. President Xi was in Kazakhstan for a state visit yesterday and hailed strong ties between China and the Kazakhs, saying the countries had established a permanent comprehensive strategic partnership to the benefit of both peoples. Thousands of people have been slowly filing past the coffin of the late Queen Elizabeth. The Queen's coffin, draped in the royal standard on which her crown, orb and scepter are placed, is lying in the vast medieval Westminster Hall, the oldest part of the Houses of Parliament. The BBC's Laura Trant witnessed her short journey there. The band 
Teams of the Scots Guards and the Grenadier Guards played a series of marches as the procession got underway. A horse-drawn gun carriage took Queen Elizabeth on her final journey from her London home of Buckingham Palace. Following it were King Charles and his sons, along with the late Queen's other three children, who walked behind the coffin to Westminster Hall. There she will lie in state until her funeral at Westminster Abbey on Monday. Many thousands of mourners lined the streets in a sombre mood, occasionally punctuated by ripples of applause, the sound of gun salutes and the toll of Big Ben. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's program, we will look at challenges posed by a growing shortage of teachers here. The Hong Kong Association of the Heads of Secondary Schools has warned that the brain drain is serious and is having a direct impact on teaching. It says not only are teachers having to take on additional classes because of the growing number of vacancies, some schools are also having to hire untrained teachers to help share the burden. The group says the government should conduct a survey to find out detailed information about why teachers have quit and help schools plan for the future. According to government figures, the turnover rate among teachers in secondary schools in the last academic year was 7.8%, significantly higher than the initial estimate of 4.6%. What's your view on how the shortage of teachers is affecting schools? What can be done to turn the tide? After 9.15, we'll find out how conservationists are hoping to use 3D printing technology to rebuild damaged coral reefs in local waters. So let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us on backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call at 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Kowloon Tong studio, Mervyn Cheung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group. And in a moment, we will be joined by Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council and principal of Yinghua College. Good morning, Mr. Cheung. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So is the teacher brain drain problem as serious as what the uh, Hong Kong Association of the Heads of uh, Secondary Schools claim? Well, early on, uh, you probably will still remember that by the end of uh, August, that is the very last day of August, uh, there's still an advertisement uh, put up by uh, a secondary school in in the Guntong district, uh, well, asking to qualify the candidates to apply for an immediately available position, uh, tenable for for the for the new academic year that would that would start on the following date. So. Uh, so you can see that um, I think that this uh, might not be the only uh, case in, in, in Hong Kong uh, at the moment and then also at that time. And uh, I think uh, well, quite, quite, quite a number of secondary schools, of course the number uh, remain to be, uh, to be specified, uh, have the, the kind of a making duel with the existing teaching force uh, in, in the school uh, to, to start a new academic year, while at the same time looking for suitable appointees for vacancies uh, created by teachers who have, uh, who have left the force. So what do you think is a possible solution to this problem? Now, training of teachers is lots and uh, I think uh, 
there's a quick solution to to the problem because uh, for graduates, even if they attend uh, a full time diploma uh, in education at one of the uh, uh, faculties of education, it will take uh, no less than one year. And now we have a we have a quite an imminent situation which is affecting schools at uh, the school sector at large. So uh, we need to look for people who are qualified, who are experienced, and at the same time who are immediately available. So uh, I think the only solution should rest with uh, the reappointment of teachers who have already retired electorally from the force. So. Uh, I think that's the only solution that can that can uh, that is capable of meeting uh, the major criteria we have just laid out. So why can't we go ahead with that? Well, just I really don't know. Uh, for instance, I've suggested this uh, a few times already in uh, openly, and uh, it it doesn't seem that the, the EDB, the Education Bureau, is very keen on uh, catching up or uh, 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 you know uh, getting this as a quick solution or at least an expedient solution to what uh, we, uh, what the schools are confronting now. You know, over the past um, 10, 15 years, we've also had a falling birth rate in Hong Kong. There are actually less students now in the schools. Uh, we've heard all these stories about schools having to cut classes, some schools even having to close down primary schools. So do we need as many teachers as before? Well, this, uh, at, at this moment, we still need uh, more teachers. It seems that the, the rate of wastage uh, of teachers in, in, in the local schools goes faster than the, the declining enrollments uh, in, 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 in these schools at the same time. Mr. Chang, you suggested that we uh, use or reappoint uh, retired teachers uh, in schools. Um, have you spoken to any of them? I mean, any retired teachers? I mean, are they interested? I think uh, some of them are interested. Because, uh, well, at the moment, uh, the public sector still uh, you know, dictates a, a retirement age of uh, uh, 60. And I think uh, everybody knows that uh, in these days, when people are getting more, more long-lived and at the same time more energetic, even after their retirement, uh, they still have a lot of time and energy to, to, to maneuver, even after uh, you know, their departures from schools. So... Uh, that would at least create the supply of some extra teachers, you know, uh, which is very needed for, for, for our teaching force. You know, Mr. Chow, look at some of the uh, government figures on the teachers who have left. And it seems to be worse among young teachers in primary school, especially, who are not university graduates. So you're losing your youngest and actually the teachers with the least um, education. Now, where have these people gone and why are they leaving? Um, I think uh, that uh, has something to do with the, the working environment of our schools and at the same time, the kind of, uh, frankly, the kind of professional image of, of, our, our, of our teaching force. It's not uh, as good as uh, many of other you know, professions, even in the public sector. For instance, uh, uh, the medical profession, the nursing profession, and the, the disciplinary forces. The government has been quite keen to, to raise the level of professional image and acceptance of these uh, you know, several fields in the eyes of the general public. But it seems that uh, very little has been done you know, for, for people working very hard in, in, in our schools. 
Uh, you know, to be more specific, uh, looking at um, I'm looking at these government figures uh, provided by the Education Bureau to an answer in the Legislative Council. Yes. In in 2017-2018, or let's look at 2019 to 2020, the wastage, and we're talking about primary school teachers who are not university graduates, the wastage at that point was 5.5 percent. In 2020 to 21, it was 14.2 percent. That's more than double. Um, of course, we know that the national security law came in um, between those years. Has that had an impact, do you think? Now, frankly, um, we, I think uh, the, there's a massive expansion of, uh, of a, a basic education uh, in, in the 70s uh, all the way to, uh, to, to, to the 90s. And many of these teachers who joined in those days uh, without a degree, without a degree, but uh, 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 a certification of uh, professional uh, training, uh, are quite close to reti uh, retiring. Uh, no, we're talking about primary school teachers. The average uh, age of these people are only 36 years. Yeah, um, because uh, they, they, have, uh, they might have other avenues for, 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 for advancing their careers. For instance, going for degrees, and for instance, uh, changing, they still have, have room for, and also the capability of changing their, their fields of endeavor. Now, that has happened uh, quite often in, 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 the, in the teaching field, because... Uh, for primary school teachers, uh, the number would, would come to something like uh, 20, close to 30,000. 30, so it's quite, quite a big force. So of these uh, close to 30,000 members, uh, say a few, uh, a few percentage points of them to uh, consider uh, changing their, 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 their field of, uh, of career uh, is something that is not uh, uh, uncommon. So they still have a long way to go in their career, and they can look for greener pasture. I think this is a perfectly uh, rational and, and, and sensible. Yeah, but the rate of increase is alarming. Between, between 2017 and 2018, it was 4.2%. 2019 to 2020, 55 And I said again, more than double. Two things have happened, national security law and the pandemic, when all these teachers have to teach these young children online. What do you think is the impact of those two factors, national security law and the pandemic? Some of them might be worried about uh, the, the, the NSL, the national security law, and they choose to um, develop themselves elsewhere, uh, professionally and also their, 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 uh, their life pattern, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, for over the extended, the projected period of uh, instruction only through, say, on, uh, only online, I think would have a quite, a, quite a deterring effect on the, the kind of enthusiasm and also the kind of, uh, you know, expression on, 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 the you know, on the part of the professional ability. In other words, they might not have a full satisfaction with what they are doing. Uh, compared to what they did uh, in, in, uh, uh, for the kind of in-person in uh, in instruction in, in the actual class setting. So what can be done to encourage them to not leave, just to stay? What, can, what do you think can be done? I think we should uh, tackle the whole thing from, uh, from the basic, that is to improve the school working environment. Now, at the moment, uh, nearly all the teachers are still uh, required to do a lot of long, te long teaching work, uh, such as uh, checking application forms of students, etc., etc. Now they're professionally trained, and their professional time should be used professionally 
for the uh, for the huge benefits of the students, rather than uh, you know asking them to 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 deal with the, the chief of the things in the schools, which could well be done by clerical staff. One thing, another thing is. Um, I, I, I'm still of the, of the view that they are having too many teaching periods every week. And then uh, they should be relieved to some extent of the, of, of the press of the work so that they can more time to make them think more carefully and more conscientiously uh, on ways to help the students. Now, what, one thing is that I'm always for teachers themselves doing counseling for their students because they know the students and they, uh, they are in the best position to, to, uh, to, to guide the students than hiring to on, on, on contract basis outsiders to do it. So all these are, uh, are connected, well connected with one thing, that is they should be given the time. So reduce the teaching periods and at the same time uh, uh, get them to give them sufficient professional time to what do the work. What about better pay? Pay them more? Uh, for pay, recently, they, uh, yeah, already for, for, uh, uh, for school heads uh, uh, at the senior levels, they, uh, people at the senior level in the, in the primary schools have already got uh, some, some perks in terms of revised salaries. So the next step should go down to the uh, teachers. At, at the basic level, so that they, on the one hand, they get more uh, professional satisfaction, at the same time, they can also benefit from improving the pay packages. All right, so Mr. Cheng, so so you believe uh, that the uh, the uh, shortage of teacher, the, the problem with the shortage of teachers, uh, is is quite serious. Uh, but uh, by improving the uh, school working environment, uh, things might improve. Uh, let, let's uh, see what uh, Dion Chen thinks. He's the uh, chairman of the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council, and he's also the principal of Yinghua College. Uh, good morning, Mr. Chen. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the program. So um, what's your assessment of the uh, teacher brain drain situation? I mean, Mr. Chung here, he, he seems to think it's pretty bad. I mean, is it really that bad? Well, like, uh, certainly compared with previous years, we can see that in these two years, uh, it's quite challenging the situation. And uh, quite a number of experienced teachers are not um, continue with the profession. So that's why, like... Um, uh, you can see a lot of school they are they were struggling in finding teachers replacement even in the end of August this year. Can you can you tell us on a day to day basis how does it pose a challenge to the operation of your school? Uh, if I use my school as an example, then uh, we I can say that we are a little bit lucky that we did not have a big disturbance because of the uh, turnover or the teachers replacement. Uh, but like, as far as I know, quite a lot of schools uh, at the beginning of the school year, they still uh, do not have enough teachers for, uh, you know, the classes or the certain subjects. So the way they do is that I know they have to get some supply teachers to cover some of the lessons until they got the, the new hired. Or they, some of them, they have to ask some of the uh, current teachers to take a few more lessons in order to cover the, the vacancies. Okay, and how does that affect the students? Uh, well, of course, like, if I were the students, I would expect that uh, if there's a subject teachers to teach me uh, for the whole school year rather than uh, keep changing the teachers. And uh, if we have used a couple of teachers at the beginning and then at the end and we find another one to come in uh, to take over the class, then the, te- the students, they also need to, you know, get adapt to the new teacher's teaching style and also 
they need time to build relationship with the teachers as well. So to students, definitely is a is an is an impact. So, Mr. Chen, uh, for your school, um, you, teachers have been leaving, but you've just been able to replace them. Is that correct? Uh, we we are okay about it, and uh, we have teachers left uh, in the, at the end of last school year. But like before the school year started, then we have the uh, replacement in place. But do you know why some of the teachers left your school? Well, certainly, and some of them they have like the new plans and like moving to different countries, and uh, some of them they uh, decided to early retire. I also know some teachers they decided to uh, change profession, but like before they start a new journey, and then they take a just like university students they just take a gap year. Mr. Chung, here, Mr. Mervyn Chung yes. um, suggested um, that perhaps we could rehire some of the retired teachers. What do you think of that idea, Mr. Chen? Well, uh, I certainly support this idea. And uh, as you know, like in aided school setting, uh, the retirement age set by the government is 60 now. Uh, but you can see quite a lot of organizations, they're actually uh, talking about 65 is the more appropriate retirement age. So uh, I believe that quite a lot of teachers who reach the retirement age at 60, they still are very energetic and uh, very capable in teaching jobs. So uh, if the school can take some of these uh, retired teachers for uh, you know, the replacement or even for uh, even the school or the government allow us to extend their uh, their employment. I think it will be good for the, for the school and for the students, especially these teachers. Quite a lot of them, they have good experience in teaching and are also familiar with the curriculum and syllabus for the public examinations. So if we can have these teachers back, then uh, it's certainly a good uh, impact to the students at school. And, and Mr. Chen, well, when we look at uh, schools which uh, have had uh, difficulty hiring uh, teachers, um, do they share certain um, characteristics? I mean, um, are they located in specific areas? Can you tell us a bit more? Uh, for this year, what I have heard is that very diverse situation. And uh, if certainly the school in a very remote area, they usually are very I can't say it's very difficult, but uh, relatively challenging when getting uh, new teachers or getting a replacement. And, uh, but this year, we can see quite a lot of uh, schools they shared with us that uh, after or even though they hired the, the new uh, the teachers, okay, and uh, these newly hired, they will give a call to the school and say that uh, they will not come, they will not turn up because they have another offer and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, the, these teachers picking out offers may, the main reason possibly they think about the work environment or the subjects they offered by the schools uh, for them to teach or even the, the location of the school. Because some teachers, they think like if I have to travel like one hour for, for the job and uh, if there's a school just right next to their, their home, okay, they probably will pick that one. What, what kind of subjects is, is um, most in need of teachers? Is it English, math, music? What kind of subjects? Uh, language subjects usually are not easy to find a good replacement. Uh, but this year it's a very diverse again, and they, I, I, I can hear from different principles that like uh, even economics or like a PE or even business or science subjects, they also cannot find the right teachers. So I think this year will be uh, quite a lot of subjects not that easy to find teachers.
And I just want to point out that uh, we we did get a statement from the Education Bureau about the brain drain problem, and uh, it said that the Bureau has been uh, closely monitoring the recruitment and loss of teachers in government schools and direct subsidy schools to ensure that the quality of education is not affected and school operations remain smooth. Um, Mr. Chung, do you think the quality of education has been affected at schools uh, which have been having difficulties hiring teachers? Um. I think the difficulty in hiring t- teachers with sufficient seniority and experience is beyond doubt. And with this uh, background, and and the uh, the uh, forced uh, forced practice in these days of uh, getting untrained teachers in in some cases, uh, the quality of instruction in in schools uh, should face some kind of a downturn. Is that true, Mr. Shan? The quality of instructions is affected, Mr. Shan. Uh, yep. I uh, first of all, I think like uh, the school. I understand like the, uh, the government said that like uh, teachers without the PTDE or the proper teacher training, we still can hire them. But like from the school's point of view, if possible, we would like to get the teacher with uh, the proper training. Uh, even though the teacher with the proper training, the school would not lower down the expectation too much for just getting people to come in to, you know, to be physically in the classroom. We, re- we really need somebody who can teach and who understands the curriculum, the syllabus, who knows how to interact with students, uh, especially with uh, some, maybe some of them, they even have extra talents in uh, uh, leading the extra curriculums. So, uh, I don't believe that the school will low down the expectation too much, which will affect the quality of teaching or the, you know, the the, the work in school with the students. Can you can you be uh, elaborate on that a, a little bit? Um, when you say the teacher is not fully qualified, on a day to day basis, what does it mean? You, you've said you've talked about school activities. You've talk about curriculum, but what are some of the things that these um, not fully trained teachers will find difficult to manage? Well, like uh, for the current uh, teacher training programs, definitely uh, the uh, teachers to be, and then they will receive a training about like uh, educational psychology and uh, teaching about uh, teaching uh, methodologies or teaching methods, the way to interact with the students or way to uh, you know, cope with the uh, diverse uh, learning, uh, what I call the differences, okay, I would say in the classroom, and how to handle the students' conflicts and so on and so forth. So these are the trainings that teachers uh, to be will receive from the institutes. And of course, like, if the teachers without a proper teacher training, they may lack of these understanding, but like, it really all depends on the situation because some of the teachers, I still believe that we have quite a lot of natural-born teacher, even though they may have, they may not have the proper training. They, they at least they know some of the way to communicate with the young people, or they can follow the school's, uh, you know, guidance to uh, develop their profession in the school setting. So uh, I know, like uh, with the proper training, definitely uh, they may not have uh, the full picture of these kind of things I just mentioned. But like uh, some of them, they still can manage it well. But of course, like if possible, the school would like to uh, hire the teachers with the proper training. Do you know if many schools uh, in your council have hired uh, these uh, um, untrained uh, or not fully trained teachers? Um, we definitely have uh, schools hiring. They are hiring some non 
or not qualified teachers, uh, I say that way. And we definitely have some. Uh, but of course, like as I said before, uh, the school will really see the potential of the uh, of that teacher and also any kind of extra qualification that teacher may have. For example, some teachers may be having very, very strong uh, subject knowledge, but just only lack of the uh, teacher training. And uh, this this situation, some school may think, okay, uh, teachers can use a little bit of time to catch up their teacher training, but like the strong subject knowledge could uh, benefit the students, so the, the school may hire them. Yeah, um, so in this letter that the Hong Kong Association of Heads of Secondary Schools to the Education Bureau, um, another very alarming thing that they pointed out is the number of very sadly um, students under well, people under 19 who have committed suicide in the in the past uh, couple of years, past year or so. You mentioned, Mr. Chan, that it's not it's, it's, it's not just about teaching the curriculum. It's actually about men, uh, managing students' mental health and communicating with them. Um, that that teachers that we, the kind of teachers we need. Can you tell me in a school, not not specifically yours, but in schools in general, how? Dire is a situation of, of help, helping, having to help students with mental health problems. Well, I think quite a lot of uh, I reporting from the newspaper can uh, see that uh, students uh, in these few years, especially under this pandemic, are definitely having a great challenge about their mental health, uh, the student well-being side. Uh, students cannot have a full school life. Uh, which means that they only probably just come for the lessons or even cannot come to school for the lessons earlier. And uh, a school life is not just only coming for gaining knowledge or gaining the skills for, um, you know, for, for handling the examinations. They still need time and room to build their social network, how to communicate with others, interact with others, and uh, maybe develop their skills or talent in sports, music, or other areas. All right, so, so Mr. Like, Chan, uh, I'm afraid I, I, we have to take a short break for the news, but of course uh, we can continue our discussion for a bit longer afterwards. And uh, later on in the program, we will find out how conservationists are hoping to use 3D printing technology to rebuild damaged coral reefs in local waters. And uh, now if you have any comments or questions for our guests this morning remember you can leave a message on our facebook page back chat and rthk radio 3 or just call us 23388266 and uh, now a quick look at the weather it'll be fine and dry the red fire danger warning and the very hot weather warning are in force right now it's 31 degrees relative humidity 51 percent electric car purchases by federal government agencies you're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with our guest presenter, Jenny Lam, and me, Janice Wong. In the first half of the program, we shared observations on the teacher brain drain problem and also views on why teachers may be leaving their profession. Still with us on the program is Mervyn Cheung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group, and Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council and principal of Yingwa College. And... Uh, yeah, so Mr. Chan, uh, before the break, um, you were talking about the difference between uh, a not fully trained teacher and a fully trained teacher and the challenges of having to manage students' mental health. Could you elaborate on that? Right. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, the students definitely, um, under the pandemic, they lack of or they lost a lot of. Uh, learning opportunities, not about the academic, it's about like how to show, show interacting with others, 
like uh, in sport, in music, or even in their kind of a mental development. Quite a lot of these kind of things uh, the students really lack of during the pandemic time. The situation now is better, but like uh, we still can see a lot of students they are suffering from a lot of um, changes, uh, especially in the past few months. You know, in the during the summertime, a lot of their friends they may leave Hong Kong to study abroad. It also affect their emotion too. And uh, to teachers, definitely it's not an easy thing to handle, as I can hear from other principals that uh, at the beginning of this school year, and especially in the first two weeks, they are not just only need to uh, handle or support students for settling in the new school year, but also need to look after their mental state, uh, because quite a lot of them are a bit, I can say quite a lot, but uh, some of them definitely quite emotional because of their friends are leaving, and they can see in the new classroom a lot of new faces, uh, not just only new teachers, but also new friends. So uh, trust that teachers they need to spend quite a lot of time in helping students in this area. Right. Mr. Chung, Mr. Chung, any suggestions at what the schools can do? Well, uh, one one thing is that uh, uh, the school school administration through the teachers. Um, may consider organizing more uh, quick, quick, quickly mixing activities for for students in the same class and also uh, you know among classes. And if they can develop uh, relatively a uh, quick friendship among themselves, that might make them to forget uh, e more easily um, that what what they have missed uh, from from friends. Uh, who have already left the territory uh, for study or even for, for good uh, in other countries. All right, Mr. Chen, um, earlier you were talking about uh, uh, teachers who are not fully trained that uh, have been uh, uh, teaching at some schools. Um, I have an email here from Kim. She says, um, is it clear without any ambiguity what teachers can and cannot teach at schools here? Do you think you can help answer that question? Um, Depends on the subject, I would say, but like usually the school will only assign teachers with the uh, subject expertise to teach the certain subject. For example, for science subjects, we usually require teachers to have the science subject uh, or related science subject training or the subject knowledge before uh, they can go into the classroom for teaching science subjects because they not just only delivering the uh, the, the knowledge, okay, from textbook, but also they need to guide students to do experiments. If the teachers are not science subject trained, it's very difficult for them to do so, and also a lot of uh, risk uh, and safety issues there. And uh, let's say, for example, PE subject, okay, definitely we need somebody who are really trained in PE to do so. So, uh, but some subject could be across the board, especially for humanities. Some subjects in humanities, like geography, history, uh, some school I know that they may not uh, find, they may not require the teachers uh, just only teach geography because they have the geography uh, knowledge, but they also require the geography teacher to teach history as well. So, and uh, and uh, going back to uh, solutions uh, to this uh, teacher shortage problem earlier before the news, Mr. Chung, you suggested uh, uh, the reappointment of uh, retired teachers. And uh, looking at uh, what the Hong Kong Association of the Heads of Secondary Schools are suggesting, they, they want the government to, to conduct a survey to find out uh, detailed information about why teachers have quit and uh, help schools plan for the future and see how uh, schools can attract teachers back. Um, I have an email here, uh, well, a message on our Facebook page uh, from Richard. He says uh, he doesn't think they need to conduct a survey to find out why teachers have quit. Um, Mr. Chung, what's your thought on that? Well, I think uh, a survey of this kind would help because uh, 
to to understand uh, in in more precise terms why te- uh, the the reasons for for teachers' departures, uh, and of course one one can easily come come to the conclusion that uh, okay uh, I think quite a uh, quite an appreciable number of them might might leave the territory for good, uh, so they they quit the jobs or they take early retirement or whatever for, you know from schools. But uh, if this can be put in a more, a more precise quantitative terms, that will help the authorities to plan for, say, the uh, the uh, the fixing of uh, of uh, places for teachers' training in the local universities, you know, to make good the uh, the uh, the the inadequacy. And at the same time, I think uh, through this survey. Uh, Including also those uh, who who are who are still serving in schools at, at the different stages of their career, we can help to uh, gather information on on the kind of problems confronted by teachers in schools, with a view to uh, providing feasible solutions which will help improve uh, working environments uh, to, in schools uh, that would uh, help to uh, bring in new blood and at the same time. Uh, increase the confidence and, and and also the preference of the existing force to stay on with, with their professional jobs. Mr. Chan, Mr. Chang here suggested earlier that that also part of the problem is the status um, that that teachers have in Hong Kong as a profession. Um, do you do you agree with that? And, and if if so, what can we do to improve that? I. Quite agree that like the teachers working in schools in Hong Kong, they are not just only mainly focusing on uh, the teaching and learning activities. Uh, quite a lot of teachers they also have to bear uh, additional administrative work. I know that the government they have already uh, gave us some extra resources for employing the executive officer for uh, sharing some of the admin work, but like. Uh, comparatively, I can we can see like uh, based on the research, we can compare with the teachers in Hong Kong and also in different countries that uh, Hong Kong teachers they need to bear more other non-teaching duties than uh, teachers uh, from other countries. So I think like uh, it is one of the areas that I believe that the government can look into it and see how can we let the teachers more focusing on teaching and learning rather than on other matters. And uh, the policy address is coming up very soon. Uh, what, what do you hope to see uh, in it this time, Mr. Chen? Yep, uh, of course, like, I hope that the uh, policy address can also address to this issue and see how can we further stable the teaching force of uh, teachers in kindergarten, primary and also secondary schools. Uh, the other thing that we also would like to see from policy address that uh, government can look into the measures and or the strategies to help uh, supporting the students' mental states. Uh, we believe that like, the young people are the um, most important assets to the Hong Kong uh, community. So if we can help them to have a better uh, development during this kind of adolescent age, then when they come to become the adults or grown to be a young man, okay, by the time they, they certainly will have a better foundation to contribute back to Hong Kong community. Mr. Chang, what would you like to see in the policy address? Yes, I, I agree with uh, Dian that that uh, there should be provisions uh, by by chief executive uh, on uh, stabilizing the, um, the the teaching force and also to, uh, to make uh, school uh, school 
teaching and learning environment are more conducive to to the um, healthy training of our students, both uh, physically, academically, and also uh, mentally. Uh, yes, uh, that, that's, that's true that uh, if uh, students suffer from uh, protracted uh, mental health problems, it would be a very dangerous uh, signal because this will not only affect their, their daily study, it would mean that they, they are not in a position to develop into mature and uh, rational and at the same time very constructive and fruitful adulthood. It's quite um, easy to say uh, that you want the government to help stabilize the uh, teaching uh, force. But uh, I mean, what um, real measures do you do you want to see from the government apart from maybe reappointing uh, retired teachers? I mean, is it possible to uh, increase the intake of uh, uh, professional training programs for teachers? Well, compared to uh, many other uh, pro- professional careers, uh, it seems that the t- uh, that. Uh, the teaching career would need to to be uh, beefed up to, in terms of the public image. Um, the the f- professional uh, satisfaction, as well as the some kind of a remunerative uh, improvement. What do you think, Mr. Chan? More money and and better status. How? What can we work on to make teaching a attractive option for young people? Well, I think, like, once again, we welcome resources, but, like, we need to use resources wisely. Um, first of all, I think the teacher-student ratio, that is something the government can think about it. And uh, we would like to have a quality time working with the students rather than just, uh, like, a factory, like, uh, you know, producing students. We certainly are not like that. So we hope that the, uh, the government, if they really have resources in this area, they should look into the teacher-student ratio and as shared earlier, can we uh, really look into providing more support on the admin side for teachers so we can focus on really developing students in uh, cognitively and also uh, psychologically rather than uh, spending some time on the paperwork. And the point you also mentioned earlier that the uh, intake for the teacher training, I think that is something the government should continue to review. I understand that the number of the uh, students in Hong Kong uh, is low now lower than before, but I hope that the government will not reduce the number of uh, teacher training spaces in the institutes. Uh, as you know, like some people who study the teacher training doesn't mean that they will be the teachers in the future. So we definitely need to have, uh, we need to oversupply, okay? Otherwise, then uh, uh, come to our day or come to Saturdays, we definitely have the lack of teacher situation again. And when we talk about this uh, shortage of teacher problem, I mean, some people have uh, talked about the possibility of encouraging uh, people from other professions to become teachers. Uh, do you think that would be uh, difficult, Mr. Chen? Uh, it only has happened in the past. Like in some situations, uh, some people from other professions were also turn into the uh, education field. But uh, of course, more on the uh, post-secondary education side. Uh, for secondary school, primary school, we usually see the teachers are directly from the, you know, the uh, the institute uh, after the teacher training or directly from the university. We uh, will also see some, but not too many, okay, changes from other professions. Of course, some subjects, and uh, for example, business or some like science subjects, if uh, some of the teachers, they work in other industries before uh, and also possess of some uh, expertise, I think it's also benefit to the students because they can, uh, we can open their eyes and also open the horizons of the students.
Mr. Chen, you also suggested that you want to see an improvement in teacher-student ratio. What is your ideal ratio? What is the current ratio? What's your ideal ratio? For the secondary school now, it's probably about uh, uh, one to uh, two point zero. Okay, it means that one class will have around two teachers per class. Okay, uh, the ratio is like that. But uh, it it would be better if we can increase by at least a uh, zero point two. Uh, so we get a uh, one class. We have a two point two teachers, or even more. Then we can have extra teachers to uh, offer support to students. Which means that the number of lessons teacher teaching per classes could be reduced. And at the same time, the teachers, when they have more spare time, they could go into more deeper when they interact with the students or prepare some of the teacher materials in. Uh, they do have more time to prepare teacher materials. Uh, sometimes, somehow, the quality could also be uh, enhanced. All right, uh, Mr. Chen, I will have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council and uh, principal of Yingma College. Also, many thanks to Mervyn Cheung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on two double three double eight two double six and have your say. It's now 17 minutes past nine on Backchat. Let's uh, move on to our second topic today, and it's about a project that's been launched to preserve and restore coral in Hong Kong using the world's first 3D coral reef tile printing solution. To tell us more, we're now joined by Variko Yu, co-founder and CEO of Archie Reef, one of the partners in this joint project. Good morning, Ms. Yu. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us on the program. Now, uh, can you tell us what uh, 3D coral reef tile printing is? So we are using this 3D printing solution, but we're printing clay materials, which is like 100% natural materials, almost like a pottery. You 3D print the structures, dry them, and fire them. And then we create this specially designed reef tile to help coral to recover and grow better. Is it really just normal clay or are there um, special um, ingredients in it? It's not normal clay. And that's what coral loves. They love natural materials. Yeah, so I had a look on your website. They look actually amazing. They're these hexagon um, pieces um, and they have a sort of like a, all these squiggly bits that look like a maze on them. Um, how quickly can you print them? And how many have you already printed? Yes, great question. So this technology was developed from the, at the University of Hong Kong, where I was doing my PhD, and it was fully 100% 3D printed from the different layers, from the legs, from the bottom layer, from the top layer, like the maze you just mentioned. And the whole process took two hours to print, and then two weeks to dry, and then at least two days to fire. So it's quite a process. But right now, um, as we're commercializing it, we are also accelerating the process by uh, incorporating molding structures for parts that doesn't need to be customized. So you're uh, now working with uh, Ocean Park and Sino Group on the, this project. Uh, what do you hope to achieve from it? Yes, uh, we hope to demonstrate a new way of doing conservation. Uh, myself is a scientist by training, and deep in my heart, I am a conservationist. And historically, the way that it works is mostly depending on the government or the NGOs to take the initiatives. But with this model, with the current collaboration model, we are using this technology funded by the government, developed by the academics, and then we as a scale, uh, as a startup, 
to bring this technology as a research product out in the commercial world, where we're collaborating with our corporate partners. In this case, it's Sino Group and Ocean Park. And then we, as a joint venture, we are doing this to further promote the message to a broader general public. So I think that would be a very interesting and very innovative way of scaling the impact, but also um, doing conservation. Okay, so we know that you've tried out these hexagons, these 3D printed um, clay bits in, in Hoi Ha Wan. Can you tell us how successful has that been? Oh, it's, it's super encouraging. Um, so the project has been in the water, uh, the piles have been, in, have been in the water for two years now, and we're still securing 98% survivorship, meaning 100 tiles that we, 100 corals that we put on the tiles, 98% still survive today. And this number is at least four times higher than the traditional method. So, and uh, this is super encouraging. And as we see the corals are building the natural habitat, we are also seeing an increase in biodiversity as well. And what about for this uh, current project? Uh, where will it actually be? And, 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 how, and how, um, how much uh, space will it be covering? Right now, we're deploying this 20 square meter artificial reef tiles in Deep Water Bay. And this is particularly interesting because we know that historically, corals inhabit there, and we have a lot higher diversity than what we see today. So what we are doing is that we are helping the corals to give them a kickstart and to retrieve where they used to be. So I'm very excited to launch this project and can't wait to share more results in the next few months. You mentioned just now the traditional way of, of uh, conser conserving coral. What is the traditional way? Mm -hmm. So people have been planting corals with different solutions in the last few decades. Um, one common way of doing so is by put, gluing the cor corals fragments on bricks. Sometimes it works. However, bricks itself oftentimes are not stable enough to secure longevity for the corals. As coral grow bigger over time, it eventually collapses because the weight of the brick doesn't really support the weight of the tile of the corals on top. Um, so that's one major reason why our reef tiles is actually pretty big. Uh, they're about uh, 50 to 50, centi 50 centimeter vertex to vertex, and each of that weight about 20 kilograms. All right. So you said the traditional way is uh, not stable enough. Is it also a, a lot? I mean, the process is it also a lot slower than uh, than uh, what you're using now. Uh, the speed is depending on the coral fragment size and the species that we select. Um, so with this project in particular, we're very happy that all our partners are aligned that we don't want to see in just want to see immediate results. So with this, we're not only planting corals that grow fast so that we know that in the next year, we will see a increment in terms of the size, but we are also incorporating different coral species, like some are slow growing, some are smaller, some are bigger, some have different strategy to cope with climate change, and that is the key to fight climate change. We need to restore the biodiversity. Okay, so you said that the problem with the traditional way is that is that the the, the bricks eventually just mm. collapse. Now, basically, what you're doing is tiling the seafloor with with these uh, clay hexagons. Do they just stay there forever? Do, do will they not also break eventually when the corals become too heavy? Oh, that's very interesting. So um, the reef tile itself, the structural integrity actually lasts at least sixty years. 
when we put them in the water, we don't expect them to break, uh, at least from our lab experiment. But what we expect is that as they crawl on top of the reef tiles grow, eventually they will grow bigger than the reef tiles so that it erase the trace of human intervention. And that's what we ultimately want. We don't want to have a obvious footprint of what we do in the water. We just want to give them a kickstart. And the structure itself, because we are deploying in mostly sandy area, so eventually that sinks in, but it still forms a stable substrate as, it's, as the tiles are placed in, in conjunction with each other. So, so for this project uh, in uh, Deepwater Bay, it will last around uh, three years. I mean, um, what will be your, your next target? Yes, uh, great question. So in Hong Kong, we actually selected 10 potential restoration sites. And we, based, we select these sites based on three factors. One is we look into the historical ecology to see whether coral exists before. Because that's the goal. We want to bring them back. We want we don't want to relocate them to a new place. The second point is we have to do the site visit and to see if they stand a chance to survive today. And we also look into the future with future projections of climate change, water temperature, but also our development plan to see what will be the best sites that we can secure longevity, not only with the technology, but also with the holistic development of the marine ecosystems. Yeah, so, so okay, we're, we're trying to rebuild these ecosystems that are supported by the corals, the algae grow in the coral, the fish feed on the algae. Can you just give it a, 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 a picture of why we're losing so many corals and why they're actually important to, to rebuild? Yes, yes. Um, so we did, uh, so from our lab in at the University of Hong Kong, where we did historical ecology, one very interesting result that we found is that we used to have a lot more coral in terms of abundance, like the number of species that we have, and also the amount that we have today, thousands of years ago. And that is the historical baseline that we refer to. Um, so over the years of development, especially when the population boom, and historically we even used to mine coral skeletons for extracting lime construction materials back in um, the 50s, I think. Um, so yeah, I think that, like a human extraction, but also together with development pressures, judging, uh, trawling, which is banded now, but all these factors together are putting all the threats on corals, reefs, and also degrading their habitat. And uh, how many coral species are there in Hong Kong? Great question. We actually have around 90 hot coral species only in Hong Kong. And uh, this number is amazing because what we have, the coral species that we have in Hong Kong, actually is more than the entire Caribbean. So this number is like outstanding given that how small Hong Kong is and we have all the uh, diversity in such a small place. Actually, they discovered a brand new species, Hong Kong Baptist University, where I teach. Sorry yes. about the plug, but they, they found a brand new species. So how often do you do you find brand new species and what can we do to conserve them? Great question. So we actually, like as a humankind, we know more about the space than the ocean. We've only explored 10% of the ocean. So I'm not surprised that we are discovering new species, like from, from like every 
from time to time. And in Hong Kong in particular, thanks to the support from the government actually funding all the universities to do discovery, to do scientific researches, um, that eventually leads us to the new discovery, for example, in this case, a new discovery of a new species. Uh, I'm not surprised, and uh, I think there's more to explore. Now, you mentioned earlier that you're hope, hoping to commercialize these tiles to save coral reefs elsewhere. Um, tell me about that plan. Yes. So um, the reef tiles actually composed of basically three parts. One is the lakes, which help the reef tiles and the corals on top to, out, to be elevated from the sea bottom, which is abrasive to their growth. The bottom layer is like a grid. And that fixed degree provides structural integrity, but also preventing sedimentation. The top layer is super interesting because it's designed by algorithm. So the design that you saw earlier, that you um, think that it looks like a maze, is actually based on the local environmental conditions, but also the local biological needs of the local coral species. And with this, if we want to deploy this product in Abu Dhabi, for example, all we need to do is to extract the data online, open source, feed into the algorithm, and then we create a localized and customized design for the corals in the Middle East. And that is the scalability of this technology. We're seeing a local problem. The product was developed in Hong Kong, but it has the global potential to address the global issue. So the, 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 are they always a hexagon tile with, with different uh, patterns? Um, uh, they're always in hexagon because that's how we uh, put them in conjunction with each other so that they form these stable um, structures and dynamic in the water. And, um, yeah, this is always the case that we can keep the scalability and modularity. All right, Ms. Yu, we'll uh, have to leave it here for now. Good luck with your project. Uh, that's Afriko Yu, the co-founder and CEO of Arky Reef that's on a mission to save some of Hong Kong's corals. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed Backchat today and, of course, to our guest presenter, Jenny Lam and producer Yuki. Now the weather, it will be fine and dry. The red fire danger warning and the very hot weather warning are in force. The top temperature today will be around 35 degrees. Winds light to moderate northwesterlies. 31 degrees at the moment, relative humidity 48%. I'm Dr. Emma Nam. The pandemic is surging with more contagious mutant strains. The elderly are at the highest risk if a new wave comes. Scientific data shows that those with stable health can receive COVID-19 vaccines. Take your elderly relatives to get the jab at community vaccination centers, designated general outpatient clinics, elderly health centers, private clinics, or hospital COVID-19 vaccination stations, or opt for the home vaccination service. It's 9.30, the news with Todd Harding. The founder of Centerline Property, Shi Wing Ching, says he expects...